0: Hello! My name is Bear Paulson. I'm the General Manager at North Star Canoes. This is titled, I Seek Wilderness. If future generations are to remember us with gratitude rather than contempt, we must leave them something more than the miracles of technology. We must leave them a glimpse of the world as it was in the beginning, not just after we got through with it. That was Lyndon B. Johnson's comment when he signed the Wilderness Act. The BWCA would be vastly different without the Wilderness Act. There's no universal definition of wilderness. Wilderness means different things to different people. Some are content with the wilderness of a county park. Others of us need large areas to roam. I certainly do. When you do head out into a wilderness, remember to take a moment and give thanks to some of the people that worked so tirelessly to pass the Wilderness Act. People like Bob Marshall, Howard Zanisar, Olaf and Marty Miri. If you paddle or hike in the BWCA, you can even give greater thanks to Sig Olson and Hubert Humphrey. Both were instrumental in creating the Wilderness Act and the BWCA. Our lives are richer thanks to their efforts. Despite the protections offered by the Wilderness Act, the BWCA still suffers from the threat of sulfide mining. We at North Star Canoe support Save the Boundary Waters in their efforts to protect Minnesota's crown jewel. We hope we'll cross paddles with all the listeners of this podcast on trips into the BWCA. Ideally, of course, while you're all paddling North Star Canoes. You can rent one from dozens of BWCA outfitters or take a new one home from one of our 15 retailers throughout the upper Midwest. Regardless, we hope you'll seek wilderness. Thanks to WTIP for putting on the Boundary Waters podcast.
1: WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids,
2: you know? Our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, and you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking.
3: We've done this
1: trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before.
4: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters it's it was really cool, it was my first time.
0: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with
4: no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights, oh and in the deep dark blue.
1: Welcome to episode 38 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm sitting across from your host, Joe Fredericks.
5: And I'm hunkered in out here in the writer's cabin with your host, Matthew Baxley.
1: It is indeed a beautiful winter day. We are taking shelter from sub-zero temperatures in the Northwoods and excited for this month's episode to come to you today.
5: Yeah, it's it's a great episode, powerful. Get ready. Uh hang on and, c- and come with us on this journey. Man, I think we got a, a variety of things going on. Uh we've got some summer paddling stories to reflect on and we've got some winter camping that we're going to hear about too.
1: It's certainly going to be a roller coaster in this episode. Uh tales of beauty and magic as well as mishaps and near death and mm-hmm. full redemption and salvation, I might add.
5: Yeah. So let's talk about uh, what we're going to hear later in the episode a little bit. We're going to hear from Maggie, my wife Maggie, and Lindsay, your partner Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, went and did some winter camping. We we know you know they both have now been on a couple trips. It's safe to say Lindsay did her first trip with us at Thanksgiving that you heard about on the podcast at the end of season three. And uh Maggie and I have done a few winter trips over the years and she's gonna share with you some of those details of some some of the rougher parts of winter camping that mm. can come up. Uh so that's later. It's basically uh an approach to winter camping from a fairly new to the process of organizing a trip and and they kinda walk you through it, uh, winter camping one oh one, if you will.
1: Indeed. Before that this story takes you lots of different places. Uh from Utah to California, and all the way to the waters of Cache Bay and Quetico. Uh, Don't need to really share too much about it, uh, because it kind of speaks for itself. Like any good story, this one starts in many ways and in many places. For me, it started last fall outside a small town called Vernal in northeast Utah. I was joining a small group of wilderness instructors for a COVID-safe learning experience paddling through Desolation Canyon on the Green River. On the first night, I was navigating the informal introductions, while wearing a mask and trying to stay warm outside in the crisp fall air of the high desert. This is when I met Kevin. The conversation quickly turned toward boundary waters, and he shared with me that his father had taken a Quetico trip a few years back that was cut short due to a capsize and subsequent rescue by a ranger. The hair stood up on the back of my neck, and goosebumps started to form on my skin under the beat-up down jacket I was wearing. My racing inquiries were quickly confirmed that this ranger was indeed Janet's Matichuk. After a lengthy and lively conversation, Kevin and I agreed to follow up after our nine-day trip was complete once he returned home to Southern California. And it was through Kevin that I met three men. We all connected over Zoom, across the country, Minnesota to the West Coast.
6: Okay, I'm I'm muted now. No, I'm okay over here. I'm just
3: not. No, John, you're not muted.
5: (laughs) So I would do it's
3: like uh it's like <laughs> I would get push it's clear, the of silence. Yeah. push
5: this back and then you two <laughs> sit right there
3: wherever john is at sit at that and then, and then unmute this. yeah and that'll work fine you guys
1: this is this will be my favorite part of this whole interview i think uh, <laughs> <laughs> their story starts in san diego in 1986 although it's not clear if they can agree on this what they did agree on was a trip to Quetico in 2019. John is the guy who loves Quetico.
7: I'm John Ortgesen and I've been canoeing in the Boundary Waters of Quetico since 1989. I now go up for three weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall.
1: John was introduced to the Boundary Waters and Quetico by a friend of his and now he takes great pleasure in being that friend to introduce Quetico to others. In that fashion, he recruited Tim Condon and Joe Letaire to head into Quetico for this journey.
7: Several years ago, Janice gave me a fantastic compliment in which she said, John, you're one of my best success stories. <laughs> when you first came up here, you were the scared child up in the bow of the canoe, just hanging on. And now you're the going out on solo trips and that sort of thing. I've enjoyed the boundary arts in Quetico immensely. I live in San Diego,
3: retired.
1: This is Tim Condon, the father of Kevin, who I first met in Utah.
3: And a long career in business, not a, not a wilderness guy. Yeah, well, I grew up in Chicago. And so there's actually a lot of guys from the Midwest. In fact, John uh, grew up in, in uh, western Illinois. And a lot of the folks uh, in the Midwest will do that Quetico trip. And I was never able to go in high school. So I always kind of had that on my wish list, but uh, a lot of things take over in life—your career, family, and all that stuff. And we got the opportunity to go. We said, "Well, let's let's go on a paddle adventure up in Quetico before we get too old to do it." Yo, why don't you jump in?
6: Okay. So uh, yeah, John and John has been has been going. This is Joel here, and I. John has is a good friend of mine. All the every year they he'd go back to Quetico and and. Uh, He said, Joe, you got to go, you know, and I was, I wasn't retired yet. Sure enough, I decided to retire that like a month before we went, that might've been a mistake. Maybe I should have, (laughs) (laughs) but not. So uh, anyway, so I had to start training, you know, right after that, I've never really paddled a canoe before. We're going to have four of us and split it into two, two boats. We were going to rent a boat and have the John's beautiful boat. And so... This friend of mine uh, that was going to go with us uh, bailed on us uh, like two weeks before we were going to go. We decided to do Well, we'll just do it with three of us. And, but I had been wanting to do it for many years. And, uh...
1: The change from four paddlers to three created a ripple effect that vibrates throughout the rest of this trip. Instead of taking two tandem canoes, as was planned, the men decided to rent a three-person canoe. The craft chosen was a Winona, Minnesota 3, a 20-foot canoe that is narrow and built for speed. For some, this would be an ideal canoe for Quetico travel, but for these three grown men, two of which having no experience on big water in a canoe, it quickly became a challenge.
7: We had four packs, three gear packs, and a food pack. I've been doing this for a lot of years and we never had problems. Immediately at Hook Island, when we set sail, it was tippy. And in hindsight, it was, uh, I think it was the first time I'd ever had somebody bigger than me in the canoe with me. I was always the biggest guy, Joe's a little bit bigger than I am.
6: So that may have been the cause of tippiness, I'm not sure. Also at that Hook Island, that was my first introduction to a canoe. <laughs> I've never paddled in a canoe. Oh, you've been in a kayak before though. I mean... I've got kayaks here in California, not the same. <laughs> So, Timmy was the lightest, so he got in the front and I got in the middle. And I mean, it was nice, calm water in that place, but uh, in that little, nice little bay there. Yeah. But uh, we were shaking and stuff. And so, well, let's get to the wall. Let's get to the edge of the lake, right? Right. So, we went, followed the shoreline
7: in the lee side. And when we came to the first uh, campsite, I decided to take two of the packs out because the three packs were in the just behind Tim in the front, they were all standing up on end, so they were a bit over the gunnel. So I took two of the packs out so we would have all the packs below the gunnel. And then we paddled up and around, came into Cache Bay. And as we we're going across Cache Bay, is when we were really getting hit by the wind. There was one moment where, oh crap, we're going over, but we didn't.
6: You know, and as you go around that corner, uh, we weren't sure what to expend, Timmy and I, but I thought we did a really good job of power power, uh, paddling to get to her. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was fun. It was, I, I felt the good part of uh, canoeing in there but we were, we we're going straight into the winds, I guess. Right. Is yeah. That, and, uh, so that just the getting there, I thought was a pretty immense, uh, successful capable thing. Yeah. I, I was, I was scared about making that turn. And when we did it, we, we churned, we, we got to her place in a real nice
3: yeah, Janice is because I think when we, you know, the, first of all, there was somebody else there. You know how she can get pretty busy when we first got there. Somebody was ahead of us, and she's she just seemed very, you know, she was very official. She had her uniform on and her hat and all that. And uh, uh, and then uh, now John has known her for many many years and and they're friends. And you know, once the other party moved on, then uh, then uh, you know she was much friendlier and. Uh, and we started talking with
1: her. When the group arrived at the Cache Bay Ranger Station, John was eager to get as much advice from Janice Matichuk as possible about how to proceed safely with his two novice companions in the men 3 on the large open water of the Quetico. Janice, however, had her own issues to deal with. The Ranger Station was not without its own challenges. The solar panels that assisted in powering the small cabin and office were down, and Janice was relying on a generator for power. This required fuel, which was running low. Always productive, Janice provided assistance to John while taking care of her own needs at the same time.
7: Later that afternoon, she needed to run over to American Point to drop off gas cans, so she yells at me to get into the boat with her, and we take off, drop off the gas cans. Then she takes me over to the campsite, we pick up our two backs and then motor back to her place. And while I was there with her, I'm asking her all these questions, you know, gosh, what is going on? What am I doing wrong?
1: It's impossible to know exactly what was going on in the mind of the Cache Bay Ranger that day. But it's easy to imagine that over the years, she had learned to assess specific situations and make decisions to eliminate risk as much as possible. After all, if tragedy were to strike... She alone would be there to respond. And this group was no exception.
6: See, I mean, she said, yes, unless you guys stay here tonight. And then camp in you're this is as far as you're getting into Cache Bay. Yeah. I mean, That's what she said. We're <laughs> going to go over to that spot.
3: It was kind of windy and rough, and I think we were hoping that things would settle down, you know, by the next morning.
7: But uh, I mean, she was coaching us, telling us stories. That led to the decision that okay, we're gonna Camp at the. I mean, we spent the night there for safety reasons, and the plan was to go over to a close campsite the next morning. Figure out what's going on with the canoe, and if we get comfortable, great. We'll head in a little bit further, but until we get comfortable, we're going to stay close to Janice's Island.
3: And then we then we barbecued um, and shared dinner with her, and that's when she started telling all the stories. So uh, she's such an interesting lady, and uh, yeah, she's just a really good storyteller. So we kind of enjoyed that evening.
6: I wouldn't trade that at all. It turns out, you know, that was that was as far as I needed to go to see understand how, the beauty of that place, and uh, and you know, coupled with her, her uh, stories.
7: Well, the next morning was cool, calm, relaxed, great. So we packed up. I just took two packs and we paddled over to the closest island. Then we spent about like an hour setting up a tent, horsing around, showing them around what, what, you know, a campsite is like that sort of thing, the rules of it. Then we started paddling back. The campsite is on the east side of a peninsula. When we got out to the uh, end of the peninsula, it was just, whoa there's a little bit of fringes of whitecaps. And then the wind came up more and the white caps came up more. And just as I was about to shout to them that to turn into the wind, a wave hit us, got that feeling in the lower stomach. Uh-oh, we're going over and we did.
6: Yeah. So we're in the water all of a sudden.
7: <laughs> we tried a couple of different things. I mean, I knew there was no way we'd be able to get back into the canoe and be able to paddle. Well, Janice had taught me that, which you know, just hang
6: on the canoe. We all had our PFDs on, so we we're good there. So we ended up with the boat on up, and uh, John was in the front, and then I was in the middle. Uh, John, you were pretty much on the left. The yeah, left side. side. I was trying to do a side stroke on the left side, and, and then I was in the middle, and then Timmy was in the back, and so uh, that's the way we. And we were we were working through it. I mean, we weren't. You know, we were fighting the waves at that right. point for quite a while.
3: So it's just below the surface, and we're kind of dragging this really heavy canoe. I, I don't know what you guys were thinking. I was thinking we didn't have that much time. I didn't know what the calculation would be, but I knew we didn't have that long in that temperature of water before hypothermia. So so I thought the teamwork was good. We, I thought we should try to make our decisions early so, while well, we're still thinking through and uh, you know, we decided to kick for the island. It, it, I don't know how far, what would you say? Maybe half a mile, something like that. The current is pulling us sideways. So the island's out in front of us, but that current is starting to pull us sideways. And the wind and waves started
7: pushing us away from the, you know, we couldn't keep a straight line to the island, pushing us away. I kept on testing my fingers and kicking with my feet. And I thought, well, I'm not that cold. This is not too bad. Like I said, I'd been out uh, a week and a half earlier And my fish finder
3: was telling me the surface temperatures were between 48 and 50. You know, surprisingly, I Googled it afterwards, 47 degrees. Surprisingly, though, I don't know if it was just adrenaline, but after sort of the initial, you know, you feel it. It didn't seem that cold. You know what I mean? Because it was like, I don't know if I was scared or if it it was, you know, a bunch of things. You know, my head was trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, but I, I didn't notice it that much once we were in, I don't know about you guys. Not horrible,
7: but certainly not comfortable, but I didn't notice, I thought I was doing fine
6: and we kept paddling, pushing. I don't think it was going to make any difference. we had to just paddle as hard as we could. And I thought this is okay. You know, I mean, it's, uh, but, uh, and then my, my, one of my boots came off and, uh, (laughs) So that was not good, but somehow it ended up in the boat at the end of this probe.
7: <laughs> we finally gave up on trying to make it to the little island that we were shooting for. And that was and depressing. Just, that, that was a yeah. little bit
6: of a depression there. Yeah.
7: And we decided to just go with the wind and waves then that would take us to shore.
3: Well, yeah, keep in mind. So we're, by the way, my understanding with hypothermia is you, know, you, can, you can move around and generate heat for yourself, but the math is the math and you'll be temporarily warmer, but your body's still expunging the heat. And, and it's just, it's just the math. And eventually you've only got so much time. So, so even though you may feel warmer with some physical exertion, uh, you know, once your, once your torso starts to cool, you're, you're kind of posed. So by the time John kind of, you know, he's up at the front of the canoe, then we were pulling and we were kind of pushing. And uh, you know, you could, <laughs> It was our plan was to get to this island, and I don't think we really had a plan B. And you know, as we're going toward it, John said, "I don't know how far out. What was it, maybe 300 yards?" John, I don't know. Yeah, something
0: John like that. John said,
3: "We're not going to make it." He said, "You know, we're going to we're going to go right past." it. And I was sort of arguing against that only because I was my legs were already numb. I was having a hard time kicking. And even my hands were starting to get numb and I was having a hard time getting out of the canoe. And I wasn't opposed to, I think John's plan was right. The only solution was to drift to the, okay, next with the wind. Right. But I just didn't think I was gonna make it. I thought I might lose consciousness. So I was going, no, no, let's keep going. And he said, Well, we're just you could see it drifting away from us. Like we we weren't gonna make it. I just didn't want to hit
6: it. I mean, we just well, we just kept arguing while we were being pushed down towards the south. So yeah. it wasn't and so. Tim was that this, what Tim's saying about hypothermia, I wasn't as cold because I weighed 258 pounds and John and then Timmy's less than like 190 through this whole process. I ended up less, you know, a difference in hypothermia for my size. So uh, that was a kind of an interesting thing.
4: Yeah.
7: When Tim told us that he was starting to feel the cold and hype, that's when I started to panic a little bit. I mean, well, got more, very concerned
3: yeah but you know I don't know if I would have survived or not but I was I was just worried I was gonna lose consciousness in the water yeah I wasn't sink but man yeah. I
6: I thought I always kept thinking to myself that steak I cooked for him last night is my last meal <laughs> I, I really I, yeah, I, 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 thought,
3: I thought we were gonna die you know what was pretty cool though none of us said that like but I was pretty sure we were gonna die
1: The lakes that make up the border between the US and Canada spend half the year covered in ice. Even in June, that ice has been out for barely more than a month. Within minutes of entering the water, life in the form of heat begins to drain out of the body 25 times faster than air of the same temperature. In Cache Bay, with temperatures approaching 50 degrees exhaustion, and a loss of consciousness tend to occur within 30 minutes to an hour of submersion. And death can occur within one to three hours.
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, I just felt like I'd be letting everybody down to bring that up, right? Because there's no point to it. Right? Like, you're just going to do your best. And, and also, I did think it was important that we as a group made decisions because I did know what little I know about hypothermia, I did know that you start to lose your ability to make the decision so I thought we should make it and stick to a plan. that was what was on my mind but but once the, the, that island started floating the other way us <laughs> so we sort of went away, it occurred to me that okay I don't have
6: We got past that island enough down south enough to, to see the see the uh, she had the big white uh, floats on there yeah. you know you could see the dock from there. So I started, uh, uh, I, I've, I've been known to be a big mouth, but- <laughs> He's got a great voice. You I, I, I saw no one else. I started yelling, help, as loud as I could. And it was echoing. I could hear it echoing off the trees and stuff like that. And I was just ripping it. And John kept saying, now you're just wasting energy there, Joe. And I kept doing it.
1: Meanwhile, back at the ranger station, Janice remained steadfast in her day-to-day tasks while the gas-powered combustion of the generator kept a constant pace, drowning out any potential sound of distress or cries for help. But if you have spent any time around this particular ranger, you will know that peculiar things tend to occur at just the right time and in just the right way. In this fashion, the generator chugged to a halt as the last bit of fuel was expended. Janice, always prepared, headed out of her cabin to fetch the freshly refilled gas cans when a troubling sound caught her attention.
6: Lo and behold, I see a figure on the dock. Then we all started yelling help, I think. I don't know, just waving or whatever. She jumped in her boat. We heard that boat engine start, but it was all right. We knew we were going to make it to shore. But not sure about Timmy. Yeah, yeah. and... And that would have been devastating by the time that happened, Timmy was starting to sound bad. You were really not his, his voice was changing. He was uh, He was definitely suffering from this uh, for this period of time, and so as fast as she comes over there, that's still a big piece of time there that we had to you know and so we started getting him up by the you know the boat, and uh, fo- we focused a little bit on just keeping you Going. Yeah. And so so the boat made it to us, and we said, We got to get Timmy in the in the boat. Before that, when she first got to us, she's asked
7: what's going on. She looks at me and said, John, what are you doing in the water? I <laughs> tried to answer That's when I noticed that my speech was slurred. And so you were getting it, too. Yeah. And like Tim was saying, you know, hypothermia. Yeah, it's going to be one of the first signs, slurred speech. We were able to uh pushed him
3: up over the gunnel. Oh, yeah, I couldn't get up on the boat. Those guys had to push me up. And then I was like a, a fish. Like I just, just like flop it. <laughs> the flop a fish. And so she dragged them over to the shallows with her boat. And get him into the boat with
7: Janice Yankin. I mean, God, 10, 15 years ago, Janice told me she just couldn't do that anymore. Uh, that 2000 incident where that one guy did pass away, the guy said she pulled out of the water, she said you know, it just it was a tremendous physical toll on her. Oh yeah, she couldn't have done that. And then she said a few years later, she just realized she just no longer could do that kind of thing, pulling somebody in out of the water up over the gunnel. So we were able to get Tim up over there, but there was no way we were gonna be able to get Joe and myself into it. So Janice tells Joe and me to just grab onto the gunnel and she'll tow us into shallower water. I remember thinking, okay, this, this shouldn't be too bad. And as soon as she started my body was dragging in the water, oh, gosh, my fingers. I'm just, oh, God, I can't hang on. Yeah, I was.
6: You said the exact same thing. I say, this better be only 50 <laughs> yards because I'm not going to be able to hold up.
3: Yeah.
6: I was just squeezing my eyes shut, hanging on as hard as I could.
7: Finally, uh, feet started to hit rocks, got in the shallow water. Okay, we're stable. I was able to stand up. The wind hit me and it was just, oh, my God. I've never been so cold in my life.
6: So we get to the dock. Yeah, they crawled off the dock. I, I, again, because of my my girth and whatever, it was. Uh, I wasn't as bad off as these two. I remember I stepped out onto the dock and it was just whoa. I
7: am dizzy. And I thought if I fall off of here, there's no way that anybody's going to be able to pull me out. So I got down on all fours and crawled off the dock.
3: We had to move. I, I, I just said, we just crawled up that dock. Yeah, it's kind of pacing back and forth. Like we're, picture, we're just like laying on the deck, just like shivering,
6: fetal fetal position. And she's they like were hugging each yeah. other. You two were hugging each other for warmth.
3: I mean, she's like we're we're laying there shivering, and she's pacing back and forth. And she goes, "Well, you did three things right." She said, "You had your 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 personal flotation devices on. You stayed with your boat, and you stuck together." She said, "No, that's all good." And she pauses for a minute. and She goes, other than that, you guys are complete doofuses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So that's what she called us, the doofuses.
1: Janice Matichuk quickly retrieved the traveler's packs and assisted them in the most essential treatment of hypothermia, the rapid rewarming process. This involves removing all wet clothing due to the rapid conduction of heat from the surface of the body to the cold environment. She provided them with blankets and instructed them to stay out of the wind but remain in the sun while she started a fire in the shelter of the cabin. Once the men recovered enough to walk on their own, they joined Janice in the cabin where they huddled near the fire and sipped warm water to assist in raising their core temperatures
6: Oh, we were huddled in front of that little fire, you know, just trying to get our toes as close as possible to it. Yeah, it took
3: it took about two hours to sort of get back to regular temperature, if I remember. Yeah. Wow.
6: It it we we recovered. Uh, I mean, we were kind of joking about it pretty quickly, you know, kind of gallows kind of joking. Yeah. She would have seen it if we stuck. You know, there's there's all sorts of things. That's what kept going through our mind is how how it would have changed, how we could have changed that or what, you know, what could we have done better was more of what what I thought about, you know. Yeah.
3: But she did emphasize and maybe this is something for your listeners, um, the decision to stick together. You got to picture it from her perspective because in that terrible action she had where somebody actually drowned out there, they had split up and it became a little bit of every man for himself. And then, you know, some of them swim for it, the island and others are out there. And you got a picture from her perspective, she goes out on the bay and there's stuff scattered all over the place and she doesn't really know where to go. Whereas with us, it was, we were all just all together and that, that's where our boat was. And it was easier for her to spot, you know, cause you got white caps, it's not that easy to see out there. So I do think that was probably a, it, to me, it seemed to be a minor decision but it turns out that's a pretty important decision. Yeah, and
6: my other my other thing was that uh, that even if we if she hadn't heard about us, we were we were within fifty yards of you know going to the, sure. the thing. Yeah. But what would we have done after that? You know, we're freaking cold. We don't have anything warm or anything like that. There's all rocks, you know, granite rocks, cold, and I don't know. So that was a that was what kind of scared me about just letting it go to the go to the side
3: like people said, we're in the water, were you afraid? And I, I don't know about you guys, not really, cause you don't really have time to be afraid. It's kind of like, I mean, I just kept thinking let's have a plan and then let's execute on it. And that's what we were focused on. I think we did a good job of that, like sticking together and, and you know, and as a group trying to make the decision talking and, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't really recall being that afraid. I mean, I did, I, I definitely thought, okay, we are hosts. We are, this is bad, but but I don't remember like I was like afraid or unable to think. So I think we, I mean, we're very grateful, but it doesn't really, for me anyway, you know, it does soak in a little bit later, like a week or two later, you think about it and you know, go, you know what, that was, for me, easily that was as close as I've ever been to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a few bits of luck, we. I, I think, uh, I think had I lost consciousness or had she not hurt us, I think it's a pretty good chance I wouldn't have made it
6: yeah so so Timmy was saying just uh, on the way home or you know on the way out of there he goes yeah maybe we should have started with started with fly fishing and you know.
1: <laughs> all three men agree that Janice is responsible for saving their lives that day it was her wisdom and guidance that kept them close to the ranger station and ensured that their access to rescue when the situation turned tragic Pragmatically, the Cache Bay Ranger was full of experience regarding best practices in the wilderness and always shared instruction freely with those coming and going from the island. Keeping paddlers safe is, in fact, her job. But Janice had a deeper sense about her. She possessed a knowing that extended beyond the practical and was rooted in her connection with the natural world. Certain things just always seemed to click. With her, and the space around her if you were fortunate enough to be allowed into her inner world this element of her existence would seem almost magical
6: you know because of our experience with janice it was not just saturday night sunday night was the big big we, we really got deep on Sunday night with her. Yeah. And so that, I wouldn't trade for anything. She right by. had
3: so many great stories. She was showing us her art. And, yeah, I was just, she was definitely a person of that place. For her, that was home. And it just, she talked about, uh, she's really, uh, it, it was really just, you're right, Joe, it was a special night. Especially after what?
7: Janice said a lot of things that night that I had gathered over many, many years and she felt very, very comfortable with you two and told a lot of stories she doesn't tell too many people. She
6: seemed like she could could tell you what's happening clear across the bay. You know, and and she was so frank about her entire life with us that night and it it just, it's, you, uh, I'm not sure I would have been so, you know, just... Quietly, I
1: don't know, I just... Joe's struggle to describe this experience of Janice has been felt by many of us. It's something special and seemingly otherworldly. Or maybe it's from a world that has all but slipped away from our senses in this modern era. Maybe the thing that draws us to Janice Matichuk is the same inner voice that calls us to the wild places. If we listen close enough and stay quiet enough, maybe we can all hear what she could hear and tune into the frequency that made her so special. The truth is, no one could come close to describing this other than the Cache Bay Ranger herself.
2: The paddling public know it better than I do for the lakes and what they like about it. But for me, it's the spirits of good word that you used. It's uh, energy, frequency, um, pulsating, vibration, that's just lovely. And what is, is a struggle for me is to try and find words in the vocabulary about how I feel about it. I, That's a struggle for me. And I'll Again, just walk to the bloody outhouse, for God's sakes. <laughs> it's, I don't know, 20 steps. And I just marvel at every step. And it's gorgeous. And then I look up and I just think, how in the heavens did this world happen? And the odd time, I haven't been in the lake the last few years as much, but I used to go in the lake in the blacker than the inside of a skunk's butt, dark. And I'd go late in the lake and just lay on the surface and look up at the stars and try and blend in with the surface of the water and be as thin as I could and feel the water and be part of the earth, like that it would accept me as a pure loving soul of that area. And I just say, oh my God, this is beautiful.
5: you that's uh just to hear janice's voice there at the end is very very moving uh as as i'm feeling right now having heard that and uh you know maybe even just hearing janice's his voice uh does something but i think those words that you captured and shared in your piece uh yeah hard not to feel some emotion in that
1: well, you know, I speak for both Joe and myself when I say that Janice has had a profound impact on our lives. And uh, it is my firm belief that uh, Janice has... Every, everybody who knows Janice, she was a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I I believe she's still going to be telling stories. Uh, and she's not done. And one of the most amazing elements of this particular story as you heard in the beginning uh out in utah the the day before i met kevin was halloween and i believe you and i were on a video call from minnesota all the way out to utah while you were having your annual pumpkin burning (laughs) (laughs) yes and uh we're chatting and janice came up and right when we talked about janice you know the fire went a blazing over on your end and Mm -hmm. uh gave her some acknowledgements. And then I strolled uh, uh, off the conversation and ran to a fellow who w- had candles out burning out, outdoors. And when I inquired, he shared that it was uh, candles in memory of folks who had been lost in the last year. And of course, I he asked if I wanted to light a candle and I said yes. And I shared with him who Janice was and And we celebrated her in lighting that candle, and it was the very next day that I met Kevin. Hmm. And there's certain things like this episode captured that you just can't put into words. And for me, that is this idea that these stories are going to keep coming.
5: Yeah. So I think what we're learning here, Janice having passed away in August, is that she's telling her stories through people and with people and just in a different way. She's still telling her stories very much so... Maybe even a little bit more knowing her. <laughs> <laughs> so. That uh, uh, rascal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Matthew, that was so so well done. I uh, really just enjoyed, as a listener of the podcast, hearing that. So man, that was great. Thank you for, for putting that together. Uh, th- let's jump into. Winter time. Winter. Back to where we look out the window as it's uh, the sun starting to fade away or the birch and the spruce and uh twilight enters here below zero as you said we've got the fire going the writer's cabin and uh having a fire going is part of a winter camping trip or it can be certainly at the very least i hope so yeah <laughs> and so uh with that in mind let's turn this over to uh, maggie and Lindsay and hear about winter camping from their perspective
8: Hello, WTAP Boundary Waters podcast listeners. This is Lindsay Gao, here to do a fun recording and share some info and stories with my dear friend, Maggie. We actually just wrapped up a winter camping trip, and we're here in Maggie's living room, sipping some warm tea by the wood stove just had some really good conversation kind of reflecting on our trip. Maggie, tell the listeners who you are, where you live, how you got introduced to the Boundary Waters. Yeah, I am
9: Maggie Fredericks and Joe is my husband and I've been going to the Boundary Waters since I was a little, little kid. Um, My dad introduced me to the Boundary Waters, and he has such a deep love for the wilderness that stems back to the 1970s, actually, when he um, worked at Camp Minogen. And so he used to sing me songs before bed, like camp songs, and always talk about these amazing experiences in the wilderness. Um, And then when Joe and I moved up here, I made the connection that the place that my dad was talking about was really close by so um, it's just really cool that now I'm living in that place where my dad had it's like his happy place you know and it's my happy place too and I just feel so lucky to live here and to get to play in the wilderness and it's just such a healing amazing experience to to be out there so yeah, that's um, my background with the Boundary Waters.
8: I love that you and your dad have the connection of the wilderness and uh, share a happy place. That's mm-hmm. that's really awesome.
9: Thanks, yeah.
8: What, uh, Megs? what's your favorite winter activity?
9: I really like, I like skiing. I actually just started skiing a couple years ago, but I just can't get enough of it. And it just feels so good on my body. And I'm excited that I, I never used to be in love with wintertime. And now I feel like it's that love is growing because of skiing. I always want to get outside and it just feels so good on my bones and my joints. And, um, and I also like taking photos of, of things in the winter. I think that's really fun to look at the, how different it is. It's like you're in a, a, like on another planet or something and you see all the the ice formations and the the ice crystals and icicles and um, just the, sp- the glittering snow and it's just so
8: different. I love it. I appreciate you saying that, that you used to not really appreciate winter that much. Mm-hmm. But it when you can find ways to be outdoors in the winter and find things that bring you joy, mm-hmm. it right? It makes you yeah. like fall in love with winter.
9: Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. It's like a new love in my life. Mm -hmm. Falling in love with winter. Mm.
8: (laughs) I like that. So you talked about cross-country skiing. Mm -hmm. You talked about photography. Mm -hmm. And now you and I both are starting to winter camp. Yeah. And that's kind of what this episode is going to be about. Mm -hmm. Uh, We both, I think, identify as beginner winter campers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the purpose of this is to just kind of share some of the knowledge you and I have obtained as beginner winter campers from both personal experience and kind of talking to other people about winter camping Mm -hmm. um, in hopes that this will empower other people to feel like they have some knowledge to feel more confident in maybe getting out and winter camping to really have another way of experiencing winter and loving winter.
9: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And I also think for a lot of people, including myself before I had gone winter camping, it can be really overwhelming to even think about doing something like that. Um, but once you do it, I think you start to realize that it's not as daunting as it seems. It, I think it's a beautiful thing because it's a totally different way to experience camping and it forces you to slow down even more which i think can be a really great thing in life to slow down a bit and to just appreciate every moment and it forces you to slow down because it's it's much harder to travel in the winter it's a slow
8: steady process so it forces you to be present yeah i i definitely agree and it can be overwhelming and it can mm-hmm. be really intimidating too mm-hmm. So let's let's jump in. We have some kind of topics here we're going to try and cover. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we want to chat about is our route, how we chose our route. And Maggie and I picked a spot that we were familiar with. Mm-hmm. We had been out to... um to this lake a couple times, well, a few times together, day tripping, mm-hmm. um, skiing or snowshoeing into this, to this spot in the Boundary Water. So we are familiar with it.
9: Can I you- camped there one, once before. I've only gone winter camping twice. And the first time was in the same spot that we went to. Um, and I've also been there many, many times in the summer. So it's super cool to notice the differences in the lake um, in the different seasons.
8: Yeah, I do love that contrast. Mm-hmm. That is a, a great thing to point out. It is so cool to be in a place in different seasons and mm-hmm. seeing how it changes and mm-hmm. then how you have to access it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like from canoe to snowshoe or ski or sometimes even just on foot. Mm-hmm. And we also picked this spot um, because it wasn't super far from, uh, from an entrance. So if we kind of ever felt... A little in over our head or something happened mm-hmm. it wasn't that far of a trek out mm-hmm. um, yeah
9: we just we crossed a lake on snowshoes with our sleds and then we went over one portage and then walked how far would you say that would be
8: like a quarter of a mile to a yeah. campsite
9: so really doable not like it feels like you're out in the wilderness because you are, but it's not too far from from the mm-hmm. road and from the parking lot.
8: I say we were like maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes top from an entrance. Yeah. So it, it felt like a very good beginner spot. It wasn't like super far in.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, so that's how we picked our route we did. And next, let's talk about gear. gear. Who doesn't love to talk about gear? <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> yeah, what kind of gear do you want to talk about?
9: I, oh, I think I'd like to talk about the Polk sled. And if you don't know what a Polk sled is, I suggest looking it up. Google it. It's P-U-L-K. And essentially, it just, it helps you so much with, with carrying all your gear in your tent and your tents and Whatever else you need to go camping. So, yeah, polk sled.
8: Yeah. And we both also brought cross country skis and snowshoes because we weren't sure what the lake conditions were going to be like. Mm -hmm. You know, you never know is it going to be deep snow? Is it going to be slushy? Sometimes, if a lot of people have been on that route before you with sleds, um, you know, there might be a really packed down trail. So, we brought both. Mm hmm. Um, I'm glad
9: we did because it it made our experience more versatile and we got to do all the things that we wanted to do.
8: Yeah, like we used our snowshoes to go out and collect firewood, but then we used our skis to ski down the lake and go adventure. Mm -hmm. Uh, We rented a tent, um, a wood stove, and you have a cot. Mm -hmm. I rented a cot. Mm -hmm. So there's different outfitters here you can in Cook County that you can rent from. So we we rented that. And we've camped in different tents. So, um this trip we used a nylon teepee style tent uh with a small wood burning stove. And I know myself I've also used a canvas wall snow trekker tent with a wood burning stove which I really I think I preferred that tent over the nylon uh teepee tent personally mm-hmm. and you've camped in another style tent yeah too.
9: well actually it was just um a fish house and we camped right on the ice and that was that i would actually say i prefer that over the t- the tent the teepee tent um simply because it was so much easier to set up so we could enjoy the day more and not spend so much time setting up the tent
8: yeah, sometimes the tents can be a little time-consuming to, to mm-hmm. set up. That's definitely one thing um, to factor in. I guess, you know, that's another thing to factor in that if you're going to go out on a winter camping trip, you better get started pretty early mm. in the day because it can be time-consuming to set up a tent. And then if you have a wood-burning stove, all of that time processing firewood, you know, if you want to try and do it before dark because mm-hmm. it gets dark earlier. Real fast. In the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah let's talk a little bit about oh we had packs what type of what type of packs did we bring out with us uh we had waterproof packs mm-hmm. so that's all you know because you know you have snow but if you have a heat source in there that snow on the melts. G- melts and can get everything kind of wet or muddy we tarp, sometimes
9: we had a tarp too to set we had a like a dry space in the tent to set our stuff on and keep stuff dry
8: Yeah, and we brought a little uh, small, like, portable shovel with with us to kind of dig out the snow. Yep.
9: We dug out the snow first, and then we set up the tent on Mm -hmm. top of that space. Yeah.
8: We also brought fire gloves with us. This is the first time I brought fire gloves, just because um, the first time I went winter camping, after the stove was already set up, it actually, and the fire was going in it, we realized we needed to adjust some things on the stove and it was really helpful to have fire gloves mm-hmm,
9: to protect your hands from mm-hmm. getting burned.
8: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about clothing? Let's talk a little bit about clothing.
9: Yeah, I feel like I have a a pretty good system down with staying warm in the winter. I always have um long underwear on and then I wear like I wear a lot of layers, so I wear like a wicking jacket um over my long underwear and then my coat and i feel like that's really helpful because if we're skiing or going up the portage and getting really hot you can just shed your layers easily You just tie it around your waist or whatever and that that really helps
8: yeah it's really important you know to stay dry when winter camping when you get sweaty you're gonna get wet and then, if you cool down, that's kind of a recipe for not always a safe situation. So staying warm and dry while camping is really important, which I think you made a really good point of having layers so mm-hmm. that you can constantly regulate your temperature so you're not getting uh too hot or too cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we definitely recommend uh like you said, either wicking layers or like wool. Mm-hmm cotton kills. (laughs) You know, you don't want to wear cotton out there because cotton just absorbs any type of moisture and can create um, not so great of a situation. Mm -hmm.
9: And I think it was also nice to have a change of socks and um, mittens so that we could rotate them out. So I I would take my mittens off when they were super wet and hang them to dry over the wood stove and... Yeah, I would, yeah. I would highly recommend doing that.
8: Yep, bringing multiple pairs of mittens, um, getting waterproof mittens. I know for me, it, I really like having um, fingerless gloves because when I'm having to do things that need, um, you know, a lot of like setting up the tent. It's really helpful. Big having big mittens setting up a tent isn't very Mm-mm. helpful, but having fingerless, warm like gloves on to be able to take my big mittens off when I need to do something that requires like a lot of dexterity or something like that. And then Mm -hmm. being able to put my big mittens back on to keep my hands warm was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, We also brought, anything else with clothing you want to add? Oh, staying, it's always great to have, um, you know, you don't want to bring a ton of clothes with you because that's a lot more weight. But being able to change into dry clothes at night is key to staying warm. I yeah. think we talked about that a lot.
9: Yeah, I, I don't ever wear what I wore during the day into my sleeping bag. Otherwise, yep. I, I've made that mistake. Um, and it makes all the difference in the world to just have a fresh, dry, you know, outfit to change
8: into for sleep. Yep, totally agree. Uh, we also brought with us um, some good headlamps. I like to always bring lots of extra batteries. Batteries die quicker in the winter, in the cold. Mm-hmm. Um. We also brought two saws. Mm-hmm. An uh, axe. And a hatchet, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought two saws because then we could both process firewood at the same time, and it went a lot quicker.
9: Mm-hmm. And it helped us to stay warm. We would do that when we would start to get cold. We're like, let's go process wood. Yeah.
8: (laughs) Oh, I want to go back to something I forgot to talk about with the sleds. Mm -hmm. You know, you pile all your gear in these sleds and you're pulling them out with you. Uh, Bungee cords, having bungee Mm -hmm. cords to kind of bungee down all of your gear. Because when you go over portages it gets tippy it, sometimes it can tip mm-hmm. uh the gear can just fall off you know we on our way out <laughs> remember those those people lost some gear in the portage yes uh yes. they, they lost a boot yeah they didn't have their their stuff bungeed down mm-hmm. and it was really helpful to have ski poles on those portages mm-hmm. if it's a steep portage going up a hill having yeah. steep ski poles to kind of help you pull that sled up mm-hmm. um, and it gives
9: you better balance too for sure
8: yeah so I think that's enough about gear. Uh-huh. Let's touch base a little bit about food and water. Who doesn't yeah. like to talk about food? Heck yeah. Yeah, what do What are your thoughts about good food to bring out with you?
9: I just think, for me, in winter camping, the most important thing to keep in mind is to have the option to have something hot. So hot water, um, hot meals, I think, make such a difference in morale and just your overall experience um so we had we brought ramen we didn't really did we eat ramen maybe you did. Wh- i did once mm-hmm. and th- yeah so ramen and like lots of tea um what kinda, else kind
8: of yeah. high fat high carb food yeah things that i definitely you're burning a lot more calories i think sometimes winter camping your body trying to stay warm and then it's just a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> and processing all that firewood, it was nice to have lots of snacks. Yep. Um, like- and just warm food. Good thermoses to keep your water warm. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of water,
9: mm-hmm. how did we get water? Yes. Uh, we brought an ice auger to drill a hole in the ice, get some water from the lake, and then we boiled it. Mm-hmm.
8: Yep. Yep that's what we did and then in the morning that hole would be frozen shut again and we would just use the hatchet to kind of break it open again and and get more water
1: mm-hmm.
8: when you talk about morale in the winter camping I think warmth is a big part yes indeed yeah so what what kind of thoughts do you have about staying warm while winter camping
9: well I think like I said just drinking tea and um if like if I think checking in with each other too, to help each other to get warm. Like if one of us is struggling to keep our hands warm, it's like, well, do you want some hand warmers? Do you wanna borrow my other mittens? Just constantly checking in with each other, I think brings that sense of security so you can have a, a more pleasant experience out there and stay warm. Um, what else, what are you thinking?
8: Well, that I think that's a really good point. Hand, We, we both brought hand warmers out with us in case we needed them. I know both of us talked about if we were getting a little cold to just like go process some firewood. Mm -hmm. Go get your axe and start cutting wood. That was a really helpful way to stay warm. Going on a walk, yeah, drinking some warm fluids, eating some warm food, Mm -hmm. um, making sure you're keeping your fire going. You know, let's talk a little bit about processing firewood to stay warm because even that is a learning experience of, you know, How do you get, where do you go get firewood? Mm -hmm. And um,
9: what were the kinds of wood that we processed?
8: I think we were using mostly like balsam, a little bit of birch and cedar is what I think we mostly found that was kind of like dead and down, but still dry and usable.
9: Yeah. Can I reflect on a, a little memory that pops into my head? Yeah. So the other day we were, it was evening and... I just this is probably my favorite moment from our trip. I loved going out to process wood with you. We brought the sled out to the shoreline away from our camp on the lake and um and we were just sawing off pieces of fallen trees and logs and um and it was such a beautiful moment. I remember I stopped and you were you were sawing and I took a moment to to look around, and the sun was kind of going down it was it was a little bit foggy and cold and um it's it it was just a beautiful moment. I just stopped and I was thinking, Oh, we're so lucky to be doing this. It's just so cool to look around and just see snow and ice, and it's it just is so empowering and powerful that we get to walk on this lake saw our own wood off of a fallen tree bring it to our our tent in the snow and like it's
8: just it's surreal and it's beautiful and I'm just really thankful I remember you talking about how good it felt like using all these survival skills
9: yes yeah I live for this I live for that feeling of just wow
8: we can we can do this this is this is what life is this is this is it, yeah. It, the word empowerment is kind of it. Yeah. It sounds like the two words that came up when you are talking was like beauty and empowerment. Mm, yes, mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I I want to I want to go back and add one more thing too about yeah. us processing wood, mm-hmm. um, was staying warm. By the way, thank you for sharing that beautiful mm-hmm. story. We're like geeking out about all these like, logistical things. And yeah. I love that you just put in this beautiful story into it. Yeah, so.
9: thanks. Yeah. It's hard not to because it's, it's such a beautiful, almost spiritual experience being out there. So there, it all this stuff is really important, all the logistics of it and safety and all of that. But, oh, it's just, it's so fun. And it's it's so, magical. It is magical. Totally magical. Yeah.
8: Mm-hmm. So while... While we were processing wood, a, a thing I've, I learned is you have to process wood if you're using a wood stove. Mm-hmm. You have to process wood to the size of the wood stove because mm-hmm. if you do it too big, it mm-hmm. won't fit in the stove. I mm-hmm. definitely made that mistake. So figuring out like how big your stove is and then making sure you're cutting wood to fit in there and mm-hmm. getting a variety of sizes. Like you need a lot of kindling, you need some bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Let's transition and talk a little bit about the weather. I know that this was a big part of our planning process as we made sure we picked a time where the weather was predicted to be not super cold. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, again, we're beginners and we're still learning what our bodies can handle out there yeah. for days at a time.
9: What was the temperature? What did it get down to? I mean, the
8: first day we were out there, it was really warm. It was like in the 30s, but the night it got down to like 19. Mm
9: -hmm. And we stayed warm all night. We really did.
8: Oh, yeah. We were super comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like really warm out. But um, I know for me, I wouldn't want to be out there. I think for me being out there... And maybe the single digits or even like below zero. Mm-hmm. I I haven't I haven't tested that out on me yet. You know, other than day trips, mm-hmm. I haven't done a winter camping trip in that cold of weather. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to maybe get to that point if my body could handle that or mm-hmm. if I felt comfortable. But I'm not there yet. That's mm-hmm. why I think as a beginner, it's nice to go out when the conditions are a little bit nicer, a little bit more predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you're learning so many new skills and to add like, mm-hmm. extra cold on top of it. So
9: draining.
8: It's really draining. Mm-hmm. And mentally it's kind of, it's both physically draining and mentally draining too. Mm-hmm.
9: I do want to talk about that mental game thing that you and I were talking about earlier. Just like endurance and digging deep and pushing yourself and how rewarding that can be. And Lindsay, you shared with me... About how you have been kind of progressing in your tolerance of cold weather mm-hmm. and how you handle cold weather.
8: Will you talk about that a little? Yeah, bit? Yeah, thanks for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for me too. Um, I have a condition where my extremities; it's really hard for them to stay warm they get cold really easily so like my feet and my toes and my fingers and my hands um and my body just doesn't stay warm very easily mm-hmm. um and so that can create a lot of anxiety for me in the winter i'm always thinking about i i have to pay a lot of attention to my temperature and the weather conditions and my gear and stuff like that because of how cold I can get. And and then that creates a lot of anxiety for me when I get really cold. Like, mm-hmm. am I going to be able to warm up again? Is this going to turn into a dangerous situation for me?
9: Yeah, like the zipper getting stuck.
8: Yeah, on our, on our tent. Yeah, um, it froze. The zipper it, froze. There was some condensation and the zipper actually froze in our tent. Mm-hmm. So just paying attention to like my body and stuff like that and... Being able to see what my body can handle, and also figuring out what gear works best for my body to stay warm, you know, hand warmers are lifesavers for mm-hmm. me. Having the good mittens um, and just learning my my limits, mm-hmm. but it helps me feel really empowered. Like to yes. know what my body can and can't handle, and then what I need to do to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. It, it feels very empowering, and and Heck yes that's what I've been loving about winter camping too it's kind of I
9: love it I love I just got a little flash of a memory of um, you pulling the polk sled up the hill and I was like yes get it <laughs> it was just so cool to watch you just pushing through and going up those hard hills and oh it's just such a beautiful thing to be out there together um, pushing ourselves and knowing our limits and You know, it's just, it feels like such an
8: achievement. Yeah. Tell me about your mental game. um. Oh,
9: yeah. Yeah, I was going to tell a story about um, I, the first time I went winter camping, I really, my limits were really tested when I, it was a really beautiful, great day. We were out on the ice. We were camping on the ice. My husband, Joe, was fishing as usual. And um, it was a great day. And then come maybe midnight, I woke up and I had this moment like, oh my gosh, I'm going to puke. And I ended up throwing up all night long. And I was so, so sick. And I had to, you know, it's it's tough because if you have to get out of the tent, you're walking out into, and I'm pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was Sub-Zero weather it was Mm -hmm. way colder than than our camping experience just the other night um so just getting out of the tent and feeling so sick and cold and weak and then having to to break down camp in the morning and having to trek out across a lake and across a portage and across another lake i had this moment when i was like I didn't, I felt like I was going to die. I I didn't know if I, it's, and it's scary because that anxiety creeps in. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this, but I have to. Because if I don't, if I don't make it across the lake, if I just stop and lay down, like it could get worse. And um, so my body kind of took over and I kind of started repeating a little mantra. Actually, I think I said it out loud and I, I said something like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And I just focused on each snowshoe in front of the other. And when I was done, when I made it across, we finally, and I was like almost falling over. I was pretty much delirious from just being so weak and being sick all night. Um, And I remember the moment of getting to the portage, getting to the parking lot. And um, I just felt, so accomplished and I was I was I was amazed at my own endurance and I just feel like if I can if I can get through that what other things can I get through? You mm. know it's just so empowering. Yeah. You're a
8: strong lady mentally and physically, Maggie Fredericks.
9: Well thank you, Lindsay Gao. <laughs> so are you
8: um so we have two more topics we want to touch on. One is periods. periods. Periods in the boundary waters. Um, this is something I don't think that's like talked about a ton. Um, yeah, like not at all. Not, not a ton, yeah.
9: It is relevant. It is so relevant.
8: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I remember you told me your first... (laughs) Will you share your story about getting your period in the Boundary Waters? Yeah.
9: I got my first period in... Actually, not in the Boundary Waters. It was in Quetico. Mm. Um, And I was 10. And I was with my dad and my uncle and my cousin and my brother. And I got my first period out there. And i didn't have anything um i didn't have tampons didn't have pads so i ended up just wadding up paper towels and just dealing with it and i remember i asked my dad if i could share this story um i remember i was like i, I told my dad i had my period and he's like well you know bears can can smell blood no he didn't. yes he did and i was like <sighs> I was terrified, and I'm like, well, good thing we're staying on an island, Dad. And he's like, well, bears can swim, Megs. No! Yeah, <laughs> so I'll never forget that. Uh, it was it was quite the experience. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like such a dad thing to mm-hmm. say. Yep.
8: So that doesn't sound like the most ideal first period No. situation.
9: No, it was not. But it's a good lesson to learn, to be prepared. Um, and I think I personally, I don't know about you, Linz, but I really like using a period cup, um, just in general, but in the wilderness, it's really handy because you're not leaving a bunch of waste behind and it's, um, it's just very convenient. You don't have to change, change it for, I think up to 12 hours or something like that. So it just makes it so much easier and environmentally friendly.
8: Yeah. I agree um, you know tampons and pads you have to pack out with you you can't leave them behind or like in a latrine
0: mm-hmm.
8: um, and that's just kind of not an enjoyable ex- it's not fun experience <laughs> so period cups are definitely the way to go I think for me personally too mm-hmm. um, you just have to make sure you're just doing it very like you're being sanitary mm-hmm. about it like make sure you wash your hands really well before you change your cup um, and yeah. So, if anyone out there has any questions about this, I just highly and you don't know what a period cup is have never used one. There's tons of YouTube videos out there. there's tons of information. do your research. there's lots of different kinds for different body types and body shapes mm-hmm. um
9: it's so worth it it's so worth trying it out it i it's for me it's been a a game changer
8: for sure, yeah, yeah. So the last thing we want to touch on is we talked about the mental game, but a little bit about morale when we are mm. out there in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, we we were reflecting on how we feel like such a good team adventuring together because we trust each other.
9: Yes, it's all about trust and communication. Mm-hmm. Just being able to to check in and thinking about the whole group as opposed to just the individual person.
8: Yeah. I think you and I are really good at reading each other so we can tell when something is going on with the other person and Mm -hmm. to be able to check in to see what they're what they're needing Mm -hmm. Um, and then being able to support each other with with what they're like what they're needing you know if you know you got kind of quiet sometimes they'd be like hey Megs are you doing okay and you'd be able to maybe communicate what's like
9: yeah I'm just getting a little hangry.
8: Yeah. We're like, okay, we were processing wood, all right. We're like, yeah, let's finish this and then let's take a break and we'll go warm up some water and have a snack. Yep. Um, so that's definitely a huge part. And I think another part is you and I have a lot of fun together. Yes. So when situations can turn even, sometimes like kind of not so great, we can make jokes about yes, it. and laugh tur-
9: and turn it into something positive. Yeah. And there's always a solution for whatever obstacle pops
8: up, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our whole little episode. Well, not the whole episode, but our section Mm -hmm. of getting to talk about beginner winter camping. And again, I just want to preface to Maggie and I are not experts.
9: No, no.
8: We're beginners. There's lots of books out there uh, that you can read. So just I'm sure if you Google, you can find some really great winter camping books out there too. Um,
9: yeah, and I think the whole reason I wanted to do this is just because I I think it is doable for for everyone and it is daunting, it is overwhelming at first, but you can do it and just do your research and it's a really really great experience. Thanks, Lynn. This Thanks, was Max. really fun. I'm glad that we did this. I hope it's helpful for for some people out there. Yeah.
8: Thanks.
1: Well, Bye. Bye. I think that covered about all of it. What do you think, Joe?
5: Winter camping. I mean, I've learned some things. It's nice to hear a refresher. You and I are mm-hmm. certainly still learning about winter camping. Every trip, things you pick up on and take with you. And I'm sure Maggie and Lindsay, as they start to do more winter camping, either on their own uh, together, or with us, or other people, uh, that they'll you know—it's still a learning process.
1: Every every new experience, I think, is a learning experience, and it just strikes me how much that actually goes into a trip, and how much energy is expended on a winter camping trip, and, and I think that's part of the fun. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, great uh, to hear some different perspective things that Maggie and Lindsay. Uh, shared that you and I would have no business discussing that was just very refreshing to hear uh some some different points of view on winter camp and things that you and i don't don't consider and and it was uh I appreciated them taking some time and the willingness to get into winter camping that's I think probably the biggest obstacle is like taking the initiative on that first trip and just knowing that there's going to be some hardship along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Leaning into it. and
5: Leaning into it, indeed. Uh, well, there we go. It's still winter here in the Boundary Waters. Actually, now I would say the depths of winter just came a little bit later. We had such an easy January start to the season, lollygagging around at 30 <laughs> degrees and uh, kind of hunkering in a little bit. But we still got some fun things planned for winter and uh, just going with the flow
1: yeah you know we're we're going to continue to to bring you as much as we can in process throughout these boundary waters seasons uh, if you find that what you're hearing here on a monthly basis isn't enough uh, certainly check out our instagram page check out our patreon page and send us an email uh, at Bwca podcast at gmail.com we love hearing your stories Uh Staying connected in this wilderness community is the reason that we continue to do this. Um, And we appreciate you, our listeners, because we wouldn't do this without you.
5: Yeah, thanks so much for all your continued support. And uh, hopefully you're either planning your adventures for 2021 in the Boundary Waters, in a canoe, or on the hiking trails, or... Following up on the suggestions and recommendations from Maggie and Lindsay and planning a, a winter trip here before the ice goes. Mmm, get on that ice while it's hot. <laughs> hey, not right now. We got work to do. Joe, I think that chickadee just
1: died in the tree. <laughs> Ooh, it's cold.
4: <laughs> I just to sing when I paddle through Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear pounding, you can hear them roar oh, Roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if i got the
2: chance
4: All around the campfire light All around Campfire light all round, all round, all round. The campfire light.